Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. I'm Rick Burgess. In case we have never met, you may be joining us for the very first time. Uh, but uh, we do welcome you in. Today we start a brand new series. Uh, we're going to spend uh, the next several weeks uh, walking through First and Second Peter. Uh, now, if you have joined us and uh, you're thinking, I'd, I'd like to know what else you guys have studied uh, here in the Wednesday Bible Study, there's all sorts of archives that are available for you. Uh, if audio only is, um, is, is fine with you, uh, you can go back and find a series that we've done over the last uh, near five years of the Wednesday Bible Study. You can find those by going to BurgessMinistries.com and just click on Listen uh, and then you'll see the Wednesday Bible study. You can go there and go through all sorts of audio archives uh, from multiple series uh, within books of the Bible, within books that have been written, uh, commentaries, standalone Bible studies. Uh, there's a lot of content available for you. Uh, you can also use our YouTube channel if you'd rather do that. The YouTube channel, if you're watching as a YouTuber right now, uh, just go to the playlist. Uh, you can see Wednesday Bible study and click on it. You can walk back through any of the Bible studies that have been recorded on YouTube as well. So there, there are your options. Uh, if you're new, uh, because uh, we had a, a virtual man church at my home church, Shades Mount Baptist Church, Sunday night, and if you joined uh, this Bible study, uh, we welcome you if you're a first-timer and you're a member of Shades Mount Baptist Church, or maybe you're watching this anywhere around the world for the very first time, welcome. We do this most every single Wednesday here. Now, looking ahead to some things coming up, because we've, 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 we've done some visiting, uh, themanchurch.com. This is, this is a men's Bible study, even though we know that women watch it, uh, but it's a men's Bible study at, at the heart. Uh, and we have um, a website, it's a hub of men's ministry, themanchurch.com, where we can help you implement men's, uh, a men's discipleship strategy in your church, help you implement this in your community, or if you're just an individual man and you'd like to see some of our resources to help you grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, continue your sanctification, uh, that's available for you there. Uh, if you'd like to see some of the gatherings that are going to be taking place involving themanchurch.com, September the 16th, Panama City, Florida, Highland Park Baptist Church, uh, we'll be there with you. Uh, September the 20th, uh, we'll be uh, at, uh, at Fiddler's Green, a beautiful location outdoors in Jacksonville, Alabama. We'll be implementing our strategy there for the men and churches represented in that community. Uh, on September the 27th, First Baptist uh, Tuscaloosa, uh, we'll be there having a man church. You guys have been doing the discipleship strategy for a while, uh, but I'll be returning uh, back to speak there. I'll be speaking at all of these I'm mentioning now. And then September the 30th, starting the man church discipleship strategy, we'll have a gathering, then plug men into our small groups uh, on September the 30th in Douglas, Georgia, the Overwatch men's ministry there at First Baptist Church. You can find all these by going to BurgessMinistries.com and look under events. So why don't we open in prayer, and then we'll dive in uh, to our beginning study in the book of First Peter, and then we'll continue this all the way through Second Peter over the next several, week, several weeks together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the how, how so many of us uh, that are men can look to the person of Peter, uh, and, and a lot of times he's our favorite. Uh, we look to him because he's, uh, he's the type of man a lot of us can relate to. We can also relate to the mistakes that he made in his life. But now, Lord, we're going to hear from Peter, uh, who's an older man, as you have inspired him with your Holy Spirit to write down uh, these most important truths 
that we need to begin to consume today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bible, something with your Bible on it, um, let's go to the book of 1 Peter. Remember, if you can take notes, it's always great. I know some of you are listening to this while you're driving. You certainly can't. But if you can find time to take some notes, uh, it will serve you well. This is something that's relatively new in my walk of Bible study is to be sure I'm ready to take some notes, write some things down. Uh, you've heard me say this in Bible studies past. I credit Adrian Rogers uh, with this, famous pastor who's passed on to glory now. He said, the cheapest pen when you're studying the Bible uh, will serve you better than the greatest memory. Write it down. Uh, so take your Bibles uh, and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. First of all, we see who is writing this book. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, this is elementary for a lot of you, but let's walk through it. He's, he's letting us know that he's an apostle. What is an apostle? Well, the apostle means that I walked with Jesus. I, I was there with Jesus when he walked out his earthly ministry. I'm a witness to Jesus' ministry. I'm a witness, I'm a witness to Jesus' resurrection. I'm a witness to Jesus after the resurrection. As you know, the original 12 had this experience, uh, but then there was always, you know, the Apostle Paul, uh, and, and he calls himself an apostle too. And some of you may be saying, well, Rick, how can he call himself an apostle? He, he didn't walk with Jesus, and uh, he wasn't there for, for that. He was actually in opposition to the church and, and, um, and, and, the, and the resurrection. That's true, but remember, Paul was deemed an apostle because he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was constantly having to defend this. And we know that there were times that, that you know, the reason why he and Peter had, had some run-ins, nothing that lasted, uh, don't, don't misunderstand me, but they did have some run-ins from time to time because when you look at the original 12, Peter was clearly the leader. He was the one that always gets mentioned first. He's the one that, is, that isn't afraid to have something to say. And the original uh, 12, those 11 looked at him as their leader. And even after... Uh, we see the betrayal of Judas, and, and he's replaced. Still, Peter stays in that leadership position. So when the Apostle Paul comes in, uh, and now he's being heralded, because you go from uh, a fisherman, uh, uneducated, uh, but filled with the Holy Spirit who's leading the group, now here comes this highly educated uh, Paul. Sometimes they would, they would have a bit of a, of a debate over the, uh, who, who's, the, who's the leader now. Uh, but God used them both. They certainly loved each other greatly. Uh, they held each other accountable. Uh, Paul had to hold Peter accountable, you know, about his ongoing struggle with uh, as a Jewish man and the Gentiles. And uh, but uh, you do know, at the end of both of their lives, they were both uh, martyred by Nero, uh, and they certainly shared a kinship. And you'll see that even right out of the gate, because Peter says, "I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ." Peter is a, is a is a guy, as I was saying in the prayer that most men look to and can relate to. He was what we would call a man's man. Uh, he was rugged. He was, uh, by all accounts, big. Um, he was a fisherman, blue-collar kind of guy, uh, bold many times uh, after the Holy Spirit especially. But when we start thinking about the mistakes that he made you know, with the betrayal of Jesus and, and then being reconciled to Jesus, praise the Lord, and then being um, you know, the new strength of the Holy Spirit, now that standard of, of the example of Peter goes way up because he's a different man after the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that in past Bible studies, especially our Bible study that, where we walk through the book of Acts. But now, these letters, we have Peter writing to us as an older man. Uh, and Peter seems to sense, if you remember, 
uh, on uh, we're, when we're, we'll walk through the Gospel of John. Uh, that was another past Bible study that we've done for those of you that may be new. There's the moment when Jesus is telling Peter that he will be martyred for the faith. Uh, Peter, you, you've often said many times that you'll be with me, uh, but you know what's going to happen now after the Holy Spirit and after we've been reconciled and I've told you to feed my sheep, I've told you to tend to my lambs, and then I'll kind of walk you away and I say, there's going to come a day you're going to be martyred for me. Uh, I hope you understand that, so now follow me. Meaning Peter had that moment with Jesus and he accepted it. And, and this is one of the first things we need to learn from Peter is are we willing to accept that Jesus says to follow me is going to cost you and eventually it may cost you your life. And I want you to know that you've made some bold statements in the past when you said you would, you would go to prison with me and you would die with me, Jesus talking to Peter, and you didn't. But now after the resurrection, you have been reconciled to me. But I'm going to tell you again, now's the moment, Peter, for you to be done with empty words. You've talked a big game up to this point. You're about to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And now the time has come for me to say, if you love me, then you obey me. John 14, 15. If you love me, then you'll do what I've called you to do. And it's going to eventually cost you your life. And then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And Peter had one final comment about what about John? <laughs> and Jesus said, John's lifespan is of no concern to you. I'm speaking to you. Will you follow me? And will you accept the responsibility and the call that I placed on your life? And, of course, Peter absolutely did. And so now he's getting to the end of his life, and we'll really find this out when we get to 2 Peter. But that, that shadow that Peter will be martyred, he is sensing that that time is getting close. Uh, and so that's why these letters are so incredible. And he's even thinking, because uh, now the church is being persecuted, uh, Nero is just waging war on the church when Peter writes this first letter. Uh, and he says that he's writing from Babylon. Uh, we, we do not think that the, the commentaries do not think that that is literal Babylon. We're not talking about Egypt. Uh, what he's talking about is a Babylon. He's talking about how bad it's gotten in Rome. And most everyone believes that this Babylon he speaks of, that he's writing this letter from, that he is writing it uh, from, from Rome. We'll also find out that uh, he is dictating this letter uh, to his friend uh, uh, Sylvanus or Sylvanus, the way you say it. Uh, we also, uh, many commentators say, as you find in the Bible, that sometimes men, including Peter, would have different names, especially when you translate you know, from the Greek into the English. And uh, many of the commentators say the person who is actually dictating this letter, a name that we would know a little better, is Silas. Uh, and uh, so, so keep keep in mind keep in mind about that. And you'll hear about that as we go through more of of the letters. Uh, also, we find this interesting when he starts out. He says to those still in first verse one, to those who are elect, who are exiles of dispersion, and then he goes saying, "I'm writing these to those of you that are being persecuted uh, because of your faith. Uh, this persecution has scattered many of the early followers of Christ." Um, mainly Gentiles, which is interesting with Peter, but also Jewish people who have declared that Christ is Messiah. And he lists all these different places, uh, some of them hard to, um, uh, to pronounce. But the bottom line is, and this is what makes this interesting at the beginning 
uh, of this letter, these places that he's writing to, and you can see them there in your scripture, these are places that are mainly known to be Paul's ministry. Back to my, back to my original comment. So here's Peter. It's, it's, it's kind of up for debate on why Peter feels like he needs to encourage uh, these persecuted Christians uh, in the area. He says they don't know whether the fact that, that Silas is, is you know, sitting here dictating this because we know that Paul and Silas did a lot together that Silas has come back and reported to Peter, hey, it's bad out there. Uh, they need your encouragement. It's bad out there. Hey, you're, you're, you're kind of a patriarchal figure to us. You've, you've, you've been a leader in, in the early church, and, and they certainly have heard from Paul, but they need to hear from you. Uh, so he is writing to this area in Asia Minor where they are being persecuted, and they've been sojourners, and they've been scattered because they're fleeing for their life. And you'll see clearly in the first part, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he's going to address suffering uh, head on. Uh, He says in verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's reminding them, don't forget who we are. Don't forget who we are. Now let me tell you what we're not going to do. Uh, and, I, and I've gotten to the point that if you want to see me talk uh, a little bit about uh, election and predestiny versus free will and choices, um, you know, we have a, a, a Bible study on the book of Romans, and, and, I, and we talk about this a good bit in Romans chapter 9. But I'm just going to tell you this, and this is something Lord has been pre- the Lord has been pressing on me, and, and I want you to hear it. Now, you may not like it, and there may be pushback, but I want you to know I sincerely believe this is the Lord talking to me because I know that throughout Scripture it says be careful about engaging in foolish arguments, you know, especially when you're in front of people. And I know this Bible study goes out to people that are, uh, that are seeking, you're seekers, you haven't made a decision for Christ, uh, you're spiritual infants, you, you know you've been redeemed but you're trying to learn more. Some of you are, 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 are pretty well on your way, you're growing and you want to grow more. And then there's some of you who may be more spiritually mature than I am. Uh, and I know we have the, all extremes. Well, I want to be very careful with our babies that I don't have conversations here that may confuse them because here's the facts, okay? There, there is agreement and disagreement uh, on this whole discussion about election, predestiny, free will, foreknowledge. Uh, but there is no discussion, or there shouldn't be, among those of us that are followers of Christ inside the church on his, that he's omniscient, that he's sovereign, that he's all-knowing. How does that all work out? I don't really know. And I, can I tell you something? No human being really knows either. We look to Scripture and we see a lot of Scripture about predestiny and election and foreknowledge and God's sovereignty. Absolutely we do. We also see Scriptures uh, like the Garden of Eden, for instance, in Matthew 23, 37. Uh, and then we'll get into Second Peter and we'll hear some things about what God has to say that seem to indicate that God is allowing choices to be made as well. How does all that work out? I don't really know. And no one else does either. Because there's no finite human brain that has truly grasped all that God is. He is, you know, it, it, one way to put it, I saw one commentary on this. It's one thing for a human being to declare something's a fact and to know something to be a fact. It's quite another for God to know something to be a fact. And, and God doesn't answer to time. 
so what I think we need to be very careful of, and God has convicted me because I love these conversations, but I'm afraid some of this Calvinism versus Armenian, uh, all these different things have become a bunch of Christians, I hope, uh, or people who claim to be Christians, sitting around more concerned about winning an argument than, than they are about advancing the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what your theology is, you'll never get around the Great Commission. We know that our Lord and Savior told Peter, he told Paul, he told the church, he told you, he told me, all who claim his name, that we are to go into the world and we are to make disciples, we are to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we are to teach people to obey all that, that Christ has taught us to obey. All that he's commanded us, we're supposed to be teaching. So if we do that, I don't know that it really matters if we fully understand uh, uh, the, the foreknowledge, the election, uh, the, the choices. I, I don't think that's really all that important. I mean, if somebody says, I got to tell you one thing, I'm going to come down, I'm, 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 hyper, I'm hyper Calvinist. Or somebody else says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm Armenian and I'm, I'm hyper that way and I'm immovable on that. Both of you better go out and make disciples, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you better teach people what Jesus has taught us because that's what we're all told to do, and that's pure theology. So I'm not going to get into these arguments because I don't think they serve anything other than I don't know how anyone's salvation is determined on these things. And honestly, I love all of you. If you read Scripture from beginning to end, all of you will pivot to scriptures that support whatever you want to believe and ignore the ones that get in the way of it. So how about this? All, none of us can fully comprehend God. Let's just do what he said to do, and let's be thankful that we clearly understand how he provides redemption. And it is, it is how about this? It is by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And he told us to go out, and when I see it, Acts chapter 2, uh, this same Peter that we're studying right now, when he gives uh, the, the, the correct, clear picture of Christ uh, under the authority of, of the Holy Spirit, when he's done, it says their hearts were cut, and they cried out to him, brothers, with the other 11 standing there, brothers, what are we supposed to do? And I know this. I know what Peter said. It's in the Bible, Acts chapter 2. He said, repent. He didn't say, some of y'all repent because the rest of you are doomed. He didn't say, I don't know who should repent and not repent. He just looked and said, repent, and then rise and come forward and be baptized and receive in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and receive the Holy Spirit. And receive the Holy Spirit. We repent, and we turn to redemption found in Jesus, and then we're, we're supposed to be sanctified and go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, and that applies to everyone regardless of what your theology on the foreknowledge and the election and the choices are. And, and I, think, I think these arguments have become too important to us, frankly. And I think Satan's laughing at that. We're supposed to be making disciples and advancing his kingdom. And you know what? When we get to heaven, we may find out that, that, that God did it a way you didn't think he did it, but it didn't matter because that wasn't our part anyway. We're supposed to do our part, no matter what uh, your theology. Now, if you've got a different theology on redemption, then we've got a problem. If you think that, that Jesus is not the way, true, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, if you think that there's not 100% man and 100% God on the cross, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you believe there's many ways to heaven, now then we got a real problem. But if we all believe that, and then we're, we're, now we're arguing about how God answers the time or doesn't, 
and his sovereignty and foreknowledge and, and, and human beings making choices in the middle of all that, that, that part right there, that's not what we have to figure out in order to do what we're called to do. So that, that's about all I'm going to say on that topic. Uh, so let's, uh, let's now move forward to what, uh, what Peter says next. Y'all need, and we really need to pray about that. I'm seeing way too much of that. Uh, let's go to now verse 3. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's Paul. He's, he's now saying, let's not forget who we are. Let's not forget uh, the church and, 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 and why we're the church and what Jesus has done. He said, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, you know, what? This, if you really want to take this first letter that Peter has written and you want to put a label on it, it, it would be hope. Peter is trying to encourage the persecuted church. He's trying to encourage those that are suffering for Christ. And, and, and through time, he's now trying to encourage you and he's trying to encourage me he said, no matter how things get, that's the reason why we started, I think God led us to this study. I think Peter is speaking to those of us that, that, that maybe you may be in different parts of the world, but the majority of you are in the United States of America. And for the very first time, we've talked about this now for weeks, for the very first time in the history of the Western church and the American church, persecution is coming to the door. Now, it's nothing like the persecution of the churches around the world yet. But, but I know there's some discouragement that's going on in the times we're living in. And if we took Peter writing to us right now, he's telling us that we always have hope. Because what we're going to have to learn to do as followers of Jesus is to not be so consumed with thinking about what is present. Always be able to deal with what is present by always looking to what is the future. He said, hey, don't forget what Jesus did for you. Don't forget who we are. Never forget our future. We are now a new family. Jew and Gentile, has that's been resolved. We are one family. And in our case, see, we've talked about before, this thing going on with ethnicity and, and race relations. Do you really think the United States of America is the only place that's had difficulty with race relations? So we're the only place in the world that's ever happened. Of course not. The Jew and Gentile situation was horrible. They, 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 had a, a, they were constantly having to figure out and say, hey, 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 you guys, Peter himself had to be told by Paul. I told you that when we started. Hey, I noticed that you're not treating the Gentiles the same way when, when your Jewish brothers showed up. Have you forgotten that under the authority of Jesus Christ, we are one church? This is where true equality is. There is no longer uh, separate ethnicities under the, the power of Jesus, Jew and Gentile, in our case, we would say Jew and, and Gentile, but then we could get inside Gentiles and say that would be Asians, that would be, um, that would be African Americans, uh, that, that would be Latinos, uh, that would be Europeans, that would be, you name it, whatever ethnicity you can come up with, this Peter would be writing to us saying, hey, don't forget those of you that have been redeemed by, by Jesus, don't lose hope. Remember, we're one family now, and we're one family, and we're under the authority of Jesus Christ, and, and, and we have an inheritance. Remember, uh, Paul tells us in Romans that we're now co-heirs with Jesus. 
We're now sharing with that same inheritance, and we all are. Uh, uh, you remember what uh, Paul says too, writing to some of the other letters, as Peter's trying to remind them. Remember, once we all came under Christ, whatever standing you had, uh, you know what, you know the 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 males and the females are are equal. Of course, we're not the same. Uh, all the ethnicities may have their own culture, but under Christ, we're one church. And, uh, and, and we have all this in common, and let's never forget the future glory that has been saved for, uh, for us. And as a Jewish man writing, you know what he's saying now? We're all children of Abraham. We're all children of Abraham. Don't forget this. He said that, 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 that God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what uh, Peter is saying to these uh, Christians that are being persecuted uh, all over the world, and they've been scattered all over Asia Minor. He's writing to them and saying, don't forget who we are, and don't forget the hope that we have in Jesus. Man, the world does not want to see a church out there walking around acting like we have no hope, acting like we're terrified, acting like we're anxious, acting like we're fearful. We can never forget the, of what Jesus has already done. And you know what Peter is reminding us? He solved our biggest problem, our salvation. And that has been secured and is ready for us to be given what it really bought for us, and that's that eternal life. And I'll tell you, he's saying, he's saying, look, we're not getting completely out of the present. I'll tell you that in a minute. But don't ever forget about our future glory. And then comes some verses that, uh, that Peter writes that we've talked about quite a bit. Uh, and it's been verse, it's, it's verses that I have, do have, I can't tell you the many times I've, I've dove into these verses and reminded myself through difficulty. And if you're having difficulty right now, these verses are, they're one of these places in the Bible. You remember we did a, a Bible study on suffering and why we suffer, and we talked about this one. This is a big one when it talks about suffering. Peter is saying, I'm going to give you a why we suffer. And we mentioned this in that Bible study, but since we're walking through 1 Peter, let's walk through it again and see if I can't give you some new ideas on it too. And for those of you that didn't hear that, this will be new to you anyway. So here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is saying to these suffering people that are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. And we know that, uh, that the persecution was not mild. I mean, this is the kind of persecution going on where you could be killed by Nero in, in, his, in his empire to the point that you could be burning as a lamp in the streets. Uh, he's also going to set Rome on fire and blame all the Christians for doing it uh, to try to turn all of the Roman Empire on the Christians. And Peter is saying to these suffering Christians and saying to you and me anytime that we suffer that suffering is actually good and can be beneficial because it, it, there's a precious faith that is developed by trial, a faith that is more precious than gold as we begin to look to the return of Christ. Suffering can be good and beneficial. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. It's not always going to be like this. If necessary. Sometimes our suffering is necessary. 
Why? To, to help us to, uh, to grow a precious faith that is stronger than what our faith was before. And he says that very clear. He says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, meaning whatever you're going through, it, it, God has found that necessary. And I remember this moment when my wife you know, wrote the book uh, that uh, took her five years to, to walk through, and these verses you know, were part of that in First Peter. I remember this so, uh, and, and, and stay with me, this is a story I don't think I've ever told you about my wife's book. Uh, it's called Bronner, A Journey to Understand. If you've never seen it, Bronner is our son's name. Uh, who died in 2008 at the age of two and a half. Well, there was a time when Sherry had spent these five years uh, studying Scripture and us trying to find everything uh, that we could possibly find in Scripture about suffering and where God is and all that. And, of course, my wife said so beautifully, I'll tell you where God is right in the middle of it. Here's Peter saying the same thing. But this is where we, we where our mindset has to go on this kind of, when we suffer. So, my wife was offered a, a publishing deal from a publishing company that I won't name, um, and they were going to make a big deal out of the book. They came in, and they, they had some big advance they were going to put out in front of us and all that. And, uh, and so we were having this discussion. I thought it was going to be a day of celebration of uh, all of uh, Sherry's hard work, and this was going to be a publisher to really get it out there. And it didn't take long for us to realize that this publisher either had never read the transcript or didn't believe it. Uh, and as they began to talk to us about the book, they wanted to make some changes. They wanted to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, they wanted to, uh, you know, make it more of a, uh, have some Rick and Bubba stories in there and this kind of stuff. And if you've ever read the book, it, it couldn't have been anything further from, uh, from what the book was and what God intended it to be. And here's Sherry with five years of her life and multiple sacrifices to, to write this book. And finally, I, I, I can't remember if it was Sherry or, or me, said, have you read the transcript? And you could tell they had skimmed it, but I remember one of the people saying, well, uh, my, it was a father or a grandfather, I can't remember which one, a man that was in his 70s, uh, fell off a ladder, you know, hit the pavement, and died, and she said, and I just didn't see any purpose in that. Uh, and I remember Sherry saying and, and, and me agreeing to this person, well, then you missed it. If you've never seen God working in that moment and what happened, then you decided not to look for it. You, you missed it. And to no one's surprise, my wife, which I supported wholeheartedly, decided that this was not the place she should be. And we ended up finding a, a much smaller publisher that uh, didn't have much of a budget of any kind. But this was a publisher that read the same transcript and said, this transcript is holy. Uh, and we won't change a thing about it unless we see something misspelled or some more grammar. It had been edited quite a bit before then, and there wasn't much that needed to be changed, but the bottom line, the content would not be touched. Now, that was a publisher that was not a, a publisher that had all this prestige and certainly didn't have all this advancement uh, you know, of finances or anything like that, but it was the publisher that God 
made for the book because the book was intended to say what it was meant to say. This is what Scripture says about God. So if, if you've been going through suffering and you don't see any purpose in it and you're not learning anything from it, then you're missing it. Because Peter is telling us clear that clearly it, it's good and beneficial and the thing it's beneficial most for if you are willing to be taught and really to submit and willing to run to God, not away from him in suffering, it will benefit you greatly because it will test the genuineness of your faith and either it will pass the test or if there's work that needs to be done on your faith, then it will be revealed and you'll, you'll address it. And it's more precious than gold that cannot handle fire. You know, think about when, uh, uh, when, we, when we talked about last week about Jesus saying to the church at Laodicea, I want you to buy from me gold that's been refined by fire. I want you to buy something of more value. When is something more valuable? When it's been refined by fire. It's been clean. All the impurities have been taken out of it. And then Peter says, and, and I hope that that faith will be the kind of faith that then focuses again on the return of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that's, that's what he's saying in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. And if I could just sum it up, you know what Peter's saying? When you suffer, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Y'all have heard me mention this before. Uh, I, I, my wife and I, when we listen to people, and sometimes they're very impressive people, uh, they have a great grasp of Scripture, and they certainly are going to be uh, hopefully used by God. And sometimes they'll get up there and they'll give us all the knowledge that they've learned and some great deep things in Scripture. Praise the Lord for that. But sometimes there's just something just, 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 that's not quite there yet. And my beautiful wife will lean over to me and say, they're going to be really good after they suffer. And they're, they're going to be taken to another place. They've got the head knowledge, but if God's going to refine them through suffering and they're going to develop a tone, a baritone that comes only from suffering and an intimacy with God that comes only from suffering and an appreciation of a faith now refined by fire that says this faith is of great value because it's costing me something. Just like it cost God his holiness when he lowered himself to take on human flesh and to be treated as nothing special. And it cost him his son when he took on that flesh and he went to the cross and he paid the debt that was owed us as we nailed him to the cross. And we understand more clearly in Luke 9, 23, that when Jesus says, as he said to this church and to Peter, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come with me. And when you're suffering, you know what you think to yourself? Wow, I'm more like Jesus right now because he said that those of us that follow him will suffer like he did. And he's reminding uh, these persecuted Christians of this truth. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. I love that. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You know what he's saying? I'm an apostle. I understand uh, that unlike me, you didn't see Jesus. 
these Christians he's talking to, and, and you know, it, it reminded me, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, uh, verse 29. This is Jesus talking. John chapter 20, verse 29. Um, I know that Ryan Greenwood's listening to this. Write that down, buddy. John 20, 29. I've been talking to him about taking better notes. So, so listen to this. He said, t- Jesus said to, to him, talking to, uh, to, to Thomas, after Thomas had said, I want to see the wounds. I want to touch the hand. I, 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 I got to see. And, and then he, when he sees him, he says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus says to him in verse 29, talking about the Christians that Peter's talking about, talking about you, talking about me, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? To Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. And then here's Peter learning from Jesus. He's now saying to these persecuted Christians, though you have not seen him, in verse 8, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't forget, he's such a great encourager. You're loving Christ, even though you never saw him, you believe in him, even though you never saw him like I did as as an apostle. And you know what I want to remind you of is that the very Lord and Savior that I served, that I walked with, that I denied, that I got reconciled to, I saw it. I saw him after the resurrection. I want to encourage you that you never saw the resurrection, yet you believe in the resurrection. You never saw the things I saw, but you have believed, and you know what it has resulted in? Your salvation. Don't fade. Press on. Press on. Don't forget. So if you're suffering with him, just just know that your faith is so strong because Jesus said, those of you that never saw him but still believed, how much more powerful will that be as far as faith is concerned? Trust Christ. He keeps saying that, trust Christ. Listen to this. Concerning the salvation now in 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and also the glories. 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Wow, what about this? So you you hear this. He's encouraging them to continue to trust Christ, even though they'd never seen him. And he keeps talking about how much you loved him. And and he's reminding them of what Paul said, you know, in the famous verse, and you often misquoted, Romans 8, 28, we know all things work for good. He's saying, don't forget this. We know that all things work for good for those who love him. To, to, To trust him is to love him. So keep trusting Christ. Even though you never saw him, you believed. Even though you never saw him, you loved him. And those who love Christ, no matter what you're going through, if you love Christ, we know that all this is going to work out for good. That ought to keep you going. Keep in mind, things don't always work out for good for those who do not love him. Now, the Bible says 
all things work out for good for those who love him, who trust him. If you don't love Jesus and you don't trust Jesus, you really can't claim this verse. I don't know whether things will work out for your good or not. They may not. But for those who love him and trust him, yes, these things will work out for good. And I look at the suffering in my life as someone who does love Jesus and someone who does trust Jesus and someone who does believe in Jesus, though I've never seen him. I've sensed him in his Holy Spirit, no doubt, which he promised me, but I didn't see him. But I can tell you this, that my suffering and hardships, even some of those that my own choices brought upon me, the ones that I had no say in and the ones that I caused, they have all been used by God for my good. They have made me better and they have purified and removed sin from my life that nothing but suffering was going to accomplish. So then he goes on and talks about rejoicing in Christ. He said, you may not be able to rejoice in your circumstances, but we can always rejoice in Christ. We, we, we received that rejoicing from Christ. Look at what he says in verse 9 as I, as I went on to read. Concerning the salvation of the prophets who prophesied about grace that was, to, uh, that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Uh, that, that we're going to obtain it. We, 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 can, we can experience today part of what the, the future glory is. Think about this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, uh, you know, we're talking about this, but in 9, he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation uh, of your souls. Look, don't, don't forget in 9 the word obtaining. That means you, you can now obtain some of the outcome of your faith because you have salvation, and, and I love this line that he's talking about in verse 9 when he talks about obtaining it, we can experience today, like I said, even though we won't get everything that is in our future glory, he's saying Christ will, will allow you to access some of that future glory right now because you've already obtained it through your salvation. Your salvation is already done. Charles Spurgeon said this, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Anyone can long for heaven, but Peter is urging us to exercise love, faith, and rejoicing that we might experience some of the glory of heaven in the midst of the suffering right now. We're in the church age. We're in the church age. And he starts talking about this and what I read you on 10 through 12. He says, concerning the salvation. So he's talked about what our salvation is and the joy that it should bring us because we understand what our future truly is. There's nothing more dangerous than someone who knows what their future is. Hey, Rick, what is your future? I'm going to spend it with Jesus. So, so what if something happens to you? Okay. Because ultimately, it's not going to, like he said, uh, it might be necessary and it might be for a little while and I can still rejoice in what I'm going through because I know what the future is. And the future is I'm going to be with Jesus. And you know what? I can take some of that hope and joy, and I don't say, well, I'm going to sit here and be all downtrodden until that happens. No, that brings me some joy right now. As Spurgeon says, a little faith will take your soul to heaven, but a lot of faith will bring heaven right down to your soul. You can long for heaven, nothing wrong with that. But Peter says, go ahead and exercise that love, faith, and rejoicing now. Let's experience some of that glory of heaven in the midst of our suffering right now. So the church age 
is what he's talking about. The Jew and Gentile, we've become one. We're now under the authority of Christ. Christ has fulfilled all these things that the prophets were predicting. Listen to what he says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He said, you realize the fulfillment of all you knew about these prophets, all that they were looking for, all that they were yearning for, all that they were anticipating, it's us. It's here. It's happened. We are the church age. And he says, the prophets of the Old Testament were looking toward this future, and the future is now no longer the future. It's here. It's the present. Celebrate. He said in 11, they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. He said, we've watched all these things the prophets were telling us about. Jesus is who they were prophesying. Yes, those sufferings that they kept talking about, all the prophets of the Old Testament, he's done that. He's gone to the cross. He's paid for our sins. He is that Lamb of God. He did defeat our sin. He did defeat our eternal death. You may be suffering right now, but don't forget... These prophets, they were, they were yearning for this, and you got it. You are in the church age. You're living in the time that they were looking forward to. How can we take it, be so apathetic about the fact that we live in the church age? This is what the prophets of the Old Testament were saying. We're, we're excited about this future. It's now our present. And Peter continues to remind them, and listen to this. He says that even the angels are interested in the church age. Did you know this? He talks about this. He says, um, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Well, this shows up at other places in the Bible. And you're saying, Peter's saying what? He's saying the angels? are interested in the church age? The angels are kind of checking out this whole salvation thing for human beings? Yes. If you have your Bible, turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Listen to what, uh, what, what um, uh, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He's reminding them of this truth as well. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. He said, it's not just human beings watching what we're going through and the suffering we're going through and the, the fact that we've experienced Christ. He said, this is something that's actually interesting uh, to, the, uh, to the angels as well. They're, they're watching this process. Why? Because the angels rebelled just like human beings did. But guess what God did not offer the angels? Redemption. He didn't offer them salvation. And so Paul's saying, look, those of us that are apostles, some of the things we've done in our life and some of the sins we've done and the fact that we've been forgiven, certainly we're suffering, but, but the angels are looking at us going, they were forgiven? You know, there's a third of the angels that decided to go with Lucifer, and they had no option of redemption. And he says, so the angels are watching this redemption deal that God's doing with human beings, and they're interested in it, and they're watching it. Paul talks about this again in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 10, uh, look at this in chapter 3, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God is teaching and educating the angels through the church. 
The church is a big deal. And you know, you, you, like, like we said before, that's what's been so weird about those of us in America with this whole pandemic situation. You know, when, when we were attacked by, on 9-11, that ran us to the church. And some people faded away now, but it, it, it ran us to the church. The pandemic's been kind of an odd thing because it's ran us away from church. And the church age is a really, really big deal. And I know the church is not those buildings. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's scattered us, and we're not meeting together as the church, which is the people, and Jesus as we once were. We now have something here uh, that, the, that the prophets didn't have. Here, let me tell you what we have in the church age. We have the complete word of God. We now know who, who is Messiah. We now know who is Christ. We now understand the suffering of the final Lamb of God. We have God's complete work right here, and we can know everything. We know the past. Uh, we, we, know, we know the present, what's going on, and we can see what the future is because we now have access to the Word of God for the church. This is glory. We trusted Christ, and, and, and you know uh, we, we were born for glory. We obey Him. We experience trials. We love Him. We trust Him, and we rejoice in Him. This is the summation of the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. He says you've got to remember what you have, and you've got to remember what's coming. You have the complete Word of God. You are now part of this church that he's been talking about, and your job is to glorify God. This job of glorifying God has now been handed to you, the church, and Jew and Gentile and all ethnicities have become one nation uh, under God. That's not, an, that's not the United States of America. That's a people of the church all over the world, the universal church, all under the authority of Christ, all bringing him glory. Our response to his salvation is to obey him. Uh, to, to, to not embarrass him through the trials. We're to love him. We're to trust him. And the last thing the world should see and what Peter is reminding these persecuted Christians is the one thing the world should not see is the church, when they're suffering, to respond to it as if there is no hope and there is no future glory. Now, we should be suffering in a way that looks different to the rest of the world. We, we should not lose hope. And that's what Peter wants us to know. Don't lose hope. Lose hope. Peter is reminding us of who we are as the church. And I think as we go continue this journey with Peter, we don't need to forget it. So if you're suffering, Peter says don't forget why. If you're unsure and you're afraid, Peter says don't forget your future. But if you don't belong to Jesus and you are not part of the church because you haven't been redeemed, well, maybe today what Peter is, is saying to you is this is what it looks like to be one of us. And there's nothing good about us. The only thing good about us is Jesus. I mean, you think about Peter, and a lot of historians think that this actually took place. We do know that, that Peter was martyred, and we'll get into that more in Second Peter as he's getting closer, knowing that's coming. 
But he even, even the way that he finally was martyred, as Jesus told him he would be, he wanted everybody to know when they were about to kill him that he wasn't worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. He didn't see himself as being the big deal. He saw Jesus as being the big deal. And once he experienced the Holy Spirit, uh, the, 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 the cowardly Peter and the one who would say things that he didn't really mean or really didn't understand, that's over. That's not who this letter is. This letter is a mature, devout, sanctified follower of Jesus. And all Peter was was just a fisherman that was radically changed by Jesus. All I am is just some dad, son, husband, brother, man, radio host who's been changed by Jesus. You certainly, I'm not trying to point you anywhere for your hope or anywhere for your sanctification, anywhere for your redemption. I'm not trying to point you anywhere but to Jesus. Because there's not, nothing much good about all of us, but there's something wonderful about him. If you know Jesus, then let this be an encouragement to you today. If you don't know Jesus, we're here to help. As I said at the very beginning, I'm not going to take you on some road where people sit around and pontificate about different theologies. And well, Right now, what you need to be worried about is whether you know Jesus or not. And I certainly can point you to him and tell you exactly how we all became redeemed. And that's by repenting of our sins, submitting to his authority, and just saying, change me. I want to be with you. I believe in you, and, and I want to love you, though I've never seen you. But I believe the accounts of those who did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. We're excited about where we're going now as we walk through the, the books of First and Second Peter. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching this and listening to this right now that doesn't know you as, sa as Savior, and they, they don't have that... Uh, future glory. They don't have that rejoicing and hope that Peter reminds us of. I pray right now any of them would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and I turn to you. I do believe that you walked this earth and I do believe that you paid for my sins on the cross and I do believe that you were resurrected. I believe you defeated sin and you defeated death and I believe that you have accomplished needs to be accomplished to make me fully righteous. And maybe they just ask you, Lord, make me righteous. If there's anybody here or listening or watching that maybe has done that for the first time or the first time you've ever met it and, and you want somebody to tell you what to do next or to help you and walk with you, you can reach out to me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Rick at rickandbubba.com if I can help you in any way. Thank you for being with us for the Wednesday Bible study and session one as we begin our journey through First and Second Peter. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.